0: So this morning as we continue in the series, The Church, this will be part two of First Love. You'll recall we were in Revelation chapter two last week in the Church of Ephesus and what it looks like for us to have a first love for God. And if you're like me, I, I, um, I felt the challenges of that and felt that maybe we should go deeper into that Um, and understanding what does it mean for us to really receive a first love and and the necessity for us receiving this first love before we can really learn what it means to express love. So if you will, turn in your scriptures to Ephesians chapter 3, and we'll be reading from verse 14 through the end of the chapter. Hear the word of the Lord as inspired May have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Father, now illuminate Your Word through the power of the Spirit. Take everything that is weak about me, O God, and show Your strength. Open our ears that we may hear and our eyes that we may see. In our hearts that we may receive. For we need you. Amen. <clears throat> you may not believe this. There was a time in 1995 that I weighed 148 pounds. It's true. I was in the last days of end-stage renal disease. And from a physical point of view, just about to go home. And I went, and I have shared this story with some of you, so forgive me for repeating myself if you've heard it before. But it applies today. I had some friend that thought that it would be important for me to go to a positive mental attitude seminar in the midst of my disease. And he gave me two free tickets to a Zig Ziglar Tom Hopkins seminar, thinking that that's what I needed. And out of courtesy to him and out of love for him, I decided I would go ahead and go. And I don't know if um, I can explain to you the energy that it took just physically to go at that point. But I went and I heard Zig talk about going over the top. And then Tom Hopkins came on and he was a real estate guru at that time. And uh, sort of a positive mental attitude guru at the same time and At the end of his talk, he handed out these little shower hangers. I'll never forget it because it said on it, I'm alive, I'm awake, and I feel great. And the point of that was, is you were to hang that in your shower, and first thing every morning you get in, take your shower, and as you're showering, you recite this mantra to yourself over and over, I'm alive, I'm awake, and I feel great. So in the desperation of feeling really, really cruddy, I decided I would try it out. The next morning, as I woke up, I went and lost the breakfast that I did not have, which was my daily routine every morning to lose my breakfast. And as I undressed and could count my ribs, I got into the shower. and I hung my little shower hanger up. Turned on the water and started reciting, "I'm alive. I'm awake. I feel great." Then I stepped out to throw up again. And I went in one more time and said, "I'm alive. I'm awake. I feel great." Then I tried once more. "I'm alive. I'm awake." And this is a damn lie. I don't feel great. And I fell on my knees. And I begged God to help me. He came to me. And he said, you're right, it's a lie. You're not alive and you're not awake and you don't feel great. But hear the truth. You can do all things through my son Christ who strengthens you. Greater is he that is in you than the one who is in the world. Fear not, for I have overcome the world. And you are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus, my son. And that is where you are alive. and That is where you are awake. And that is where you will feel great. Because I was in a position of I was helpless. I was in the position of there was nothing I could do in my own power. I had to have God do something. And the prayer that we read in Ephesians is for those who understand I'm to love with my first love. I'm to follow Christ no matter where He goes. I'm to obey Him and be obedient and fully sold out to who He is. But I don't know how to do that in my own power. It's hard to be a Christian. It's hard to do what Jesus is said to do. It's hard when someone strikes you to turn the other cheek. It's hard to go that extra mile when you've already gone five miles. It's hard to give up the very little that you have so that someone else can have more. It's stinking hard. It's hard to take up my cross and to follow Jesus. And it's especially hard in a culture that is so counter to everything that Jesus calls me to do that I must have Him teach me and show me and love me. Or I will fail. Paul sees that. In this Ephesian church that is in the culture very similar to the culture that East Glenville church finds itself. In a world that surrounds this church that says, more is better, complete comfort is good, and insulate yourself from any kind of suffering. Then we add to it the message that we find on TV and in books that God's whole purpose for your life here on earth is for you to be comfortable And it becomes confusing and hard. And we learn to learn, we learn to look to the scriptures in error. To give us recipes on how to make Eden on earth again. Instead of falling on our knees before the Lord And saying, Lord, show me. I'd love to give you three easy steps at the end of this sermon. I'd love to give you five great applications. But that's not what this prayer is about. There's only one application at the end of the message. I'll give it to you now. You must receive. You must fall on your knees, and you must receive. when we look at the Ephesian Church, when we look at Revelation two that Jesus says, "I have this against you, that you have fallen from your first love." and we look back at what what was the first love of the Church of Ephesus and Acts chapter 19 and 20 in the first chapters here in the letter to the Ephesian church and later in 1st and 2nd Timothy. We see people who were living lives of repentance. They were people who knew that all of life was repentance. They didn't want to live by the world's means anymore. They didn't want to live by the world's wisdom anymore. They wanted to eschew everything that was of the flesh and live for God with their lives. They were... Rejoicing over their suffering. They were rejoicing being at the foot of the of the goddess Artemis. They rejoiced to be in the culture that they were in so that they could invade the culture with the gospel. They lived lives that were so contrary to the rest of the world that the world took notice of them. And it did one of two things. It either joined them or it persecuted them. I remember a day 20 years ago when I first went in the ministry in my country club, my golf club, told me I was now eligible for a clergy discount. It wasn't just a few years later they were asking me to leave the country club because I was clergy. Things change when you follow him. The world sees you as something different when you follow him. And that's to be expected, as Peter would tell us in his epistle. And if we're really going to follow him, and we're going to really live by his wisdom, then we really are going to have one of two things happen to the world around us. People are going to take notice. And they're either going to be part of us and follow him, or they will persecute us. Oh, it may not be a sword, it may not be a fire. It may not be the flame or lions, but what it will be is alone at the lunch table. Taken advantage of by merchants. Judgment from those who you love. Ridicule, maybe being made fun of as you're one of those. Are you a fanatic? You've lost your mind. You're crazy. Does the world even take notice like that of us anymore? Or have we watered down discipling and following Christ to the point where the world goes, Oh, you've got your way, I've got mine, all is good. We have no one to blame for that statement but ourselves because we have refused to live in the power and the glory of Christ in front of the world. No wonder the world says, it's fine for you. It's just not for me. Or do we draw such a deep line That the world around us says, oh my, I must fall in repentance before the Lord. Or I must get these people out of my life as quickly as possible. And when they say that, are we willing to suffer and pursue them? Instead of just letting them go. It's a hard life. I would love to back off some of the things that Jesus said. I think you'd like me a lot better if I would. I would I'd love not to tell, or to tell you that Jesus didn't really mean to let the dead bury their own dead and come and follow him. I'd like to tell you that he had some metaphor in that. That he just was trying to make a point. I'd love to tell you that unless you hate your mother and your father more than you love me, or love me more than your mother and father, that it would look like hate. I'd love to tell you that he didn't really mean it that way. I'd really love to tell you that he said those who turn away from the plow aren't fit for the plow. And they will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I'd love to tell you he didn't really say that. Did. And I'd really love to tell you he didn't mean what he said. But he's God. And he meant everything that he said. And when I'm confronted with those hard things that Jesus has said, and maybe when you're confronted with it, maybe you have the same feeling I do. Oh God, I'm unable. Oh God, I'm scared. Oh God, I'm weak. It's in that moment that this prayer that Paul prays to the Ephesian church and for you and me that you need power and you need strength. And he has all the power you need and all the strength you need for you and I to live this life. Look with me at this 14th verse. Paul says for this reason. What reason? Well, Paul in the first two chapters of this the Ephesian letter has talked about how Christ has called us from the foundations of the earth to be his. That, And this is where you've heard me say, before any star was flung in heaven, God had you in his heart and his mind. Before anything was ever created, you and I who follow Christ were already there in his heart and in his mind for a time such as this, to hear the gospel. That you were created for the very purpose to be his. And that God has done everything by sending His Son to give us and equip us with every spiritual gift that we need to live out that life that He's called us to. And that life that He's called us to is for momentary suffering, but that momentary suffering is getting a weight of glory for us in the kingdom to come. And that by the death of Christ, the Jews and the Gentiles have been merged by faith into one Lord, one baptism, one people. That He's torn down the wall. And that we are to be a unique and a holy people. As Christ said to Peter, He would build a church based upon this faith. And after saying all those things and. Proclaiming the gospel in the first two chapters and getting into the details of what the gospel is, Paul says for this reason, I fall, I bow my knees before the Father. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. You see, you really are somebody. You really are of significance. You really have not been forgotten. You really are not an orphan. But you have a name. And it is the name that God has given you. You are His. And it's from that that Paul says. That according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being so that for this purpose that Jesus may dwell in your hearts through faith. In light of the difficulty of walking the Christian walk, Paul recalls everything that God has done for the believer, for the disciple, for the child, And in the glorious magnitude of that, he falls on his knees and he says this, I want you to be strengthened with power through his spirit. Now take note that he doesn't say, I want you to go out and get yourself strong so that you can become powerful. Take note, it's not up to you and I to find this power. But this power is something that we receive, and we receive it through the Holy Spirit. And so that the source of our power that we have is not of flesh and bones, it's not of our own making, but it's the very power of God that He pours into us as we come to Him. Paul would even say in another place here in Ephesians that it's the power, the same power, that resurrected Christ from the dead. Now, maybe you're not feeling that this morning. Maybe, maybe you're looking in the mirror and wondering, gosh, I feel I feel so out of it. I feel maybe you were like me in that shower that morning and going, I'm not alive. I'm not awake, I don't feel great, I'm tired, I'm worn, and I'm scared, and I don't know what to do next, except remember the truth that the power of God that rose Christ from the dead is the very power that God has put into you and I. And what is that power's purpose? That through the Spirit, in my inner being, what's this inner being mean? Certainly we recall from Corinthians where Paul said, the outward being is wasting away as we get older. I used to have a black beard. Some of you have taken note of my beard. It's the first beard I've grown since I took Hebrew. I grew a beard when I took Hebrew thinking it would help. It didn't. But it was black then. Twenty years later, it's not so black anymore. Something has happened. And something is happening. But inwardly, there's something more about you and I. There's something deeper in you and I that is not wasting away. It's the part of us that will live on forever. It's who we are. Oh, this flesh is not my flesh. It's only loaned to me for a short period of time, and it's going to peel away. But what's inside, Paul says, this inner man, this inner person, is the place where God has poured His power into, and is being renewed eternally so, to live with great power for the rest of eternity. He's strengthened me by His Spirit in there. It's becoming stronger with every day that I live so that the purpose of, the reason for, that Christ may dwell in my heart and in your heart. You say to yourself, and maybe like I did, well, I thought when I came to Christ, it meant that Christ was in me. But what Paul's saying here when he says that Christ may dwell in your heart, it's a unique word he only uses three or four times in the New Testament. It means that he's come in and he has taken up residency and ownership of the place. Many of us see our transition from life into from death into life and from death into redemption as fire insurance, and now I'm on my own. Many of us think when I receive Christ, yeah, I got that taken care of. I'm going to heaven now. But now I'm on my own to make it. Paul says, you need strength to understand the real truth. That you're not on your own. In fact, you don't even belong to you anymore. But you belong to the one who has taken up residency in your heart. And he's hanging his pictures. He's putting his artwork up. He's arranging the furniture the way He wants the furniture arranged. He's making sure that the roof doesn't leak. He's making sure that the walls are strong and impenetrable. He's making sure the facade of the house is looking like Him. And that is the work that He's doing in your heart. You say, from what source? From His glorious riches, Paul says. Out of His glorious riches what He's building in your heart, what He's building in my heart, what He's building in your inner person, what He's building in my inner person, comes out of the riches of His glory. So that God is literally, eternally, hourly, and by every moment, continually, whether I'm 8 or 80, pouring His glorious riches into the inner person of who we are, that we may live in this world and the world to come for His glory with great power. But there's a caveat to experiencing this power. There's a condition. Very clear right here. By faith. By faith. You and I must believe. Pastor, it's hard to believe that. It's hard to believe that God is doing that work in my life. And as long as you and I look at the external, as long as you and I are living externally and not understanding that there's something deeper to us, it will always be hard. But when you realize, maybe, maybe when you come to the point of a threat, and you realize there's more to me than my flesh, there's more to me. Than what others see. There's more to me that God sees that no one else sees. Then we begin to believe. When we, like out of Isaiah, say, The fear of the Lord is more important than the fear of any man. Then we begin to believe, Oh God. I will trust you above trusting my own thoughts. I will trust your truth above anything that I could ever understand. I'll trust you, God, beyond what I could ever believe in my own power. I will just settle myself that you said so, and it is so. I will join Job, O oh God, and though you slay me, I will trust you. It's there, and it's then that you and I experience a power that is alien to us, that strengthens us to give us life. And this strength is also that we might comprehend with all of the saints, that we may understand together. That we are not lone rangers in this world. That God's not calling you to walk this walk by yourself. But particularly and sovereignly so, He has placed you all, that's Greek, y'all. He's placed you all together. To strengthen one another, to encourage one another, to keep accelerating the power in one another, reminding each other of the truth, sending one another out, welcoming one another in. He's put you together for life. More than that, He's put us together for eternal life. And He wants us to have the strength to comprehend how wide, how long, how high, how deep. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses that knowledge. What an what a oxymoron. He wants us to know something that's unknowable. He's praying that we would know what is unknowable. Because what He's calling us to do, what He's calling us in our inner person to understand, is that God is eternal and you and I are eternal. And that all of our eternity will be caught up and is caught up starting from this day forward to delving deeply in what it means to be loved by Christ. And we'll never reach the bottom of that pool. We'll never find the end of His love. As deep as we go, and we will go, and we will go, and we will go, and keep going for all of eternity, deeper and deeper and deeper into the magnificent love of Christ. And we got to keep reminding one another of that. We've got to keep encouraging one another with this. We need to pray this for one another. Being rooted and grounded in this love, to let it seep deep into us, so that when life comes, we're not shaken. That we're grounded. We have a firm foundation in this love. So that when the onslaught of the world comes against us, we can stand. But we don't stand alone. We stand with each other. Don't forget that. Don't ever forget that. That person in the pew next to you or over on the other side of the room or in the front or the back or up in the balcony, God put you together to stand together. God's sending you a new pastor to stand with him, to follow his lead, to encourage him, to pray for him, to love him, to support him. Not with what you've got left over, but with your first love. You don't have to worry about him getting a big head, I promise. The world takes care of that for us pastors. Encouraging. Even if you only got one thing out of his message, tell him great message. Even if he does something you disagree with, tell him you're learning. When he feels weak, tell him that you're strong behind him and you've got his back. When he feels strong, applaud him on. Tell him, go get him, tiger. When he reads you the word, listen. When he comes to hold your hand, as some of you pass from this world to the next, know he loves you. And do that for one another. Because this is the point of love. That you might be filled with all the fullness of God. That's the answer to the prayer. That's the point of this prayer. Power. Strength to understand how much Christ loves you corporately and individually so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. It is God's purpose for this church. It's God's purpose for you that you and I can face end-stage renal disease. We can face cancer. We can face bankruptcy. We can face struggle. We can face trials. We can face aloneness. We can face anything that comes against us in the power of God and His fullness that is in us. As we stand together reminding one another You are full of God. Don't be weak. Don't be afraid. Full of God. The fullness of Him. And when this church realizes that between these walls is the fullness of God, then it will bust out. And it will go into this world. And lives will be transformed. And people will know that our God reigns and our God loves us. And they will know it because we believe it and we love one another. Now, to him who is able to do far more and abundantly than all we ask or think. We've just scratched the surface this morning. Our imaginations having gone halfway one centimeter into what God will do if we will believe that he loves us. According to the power that's at work within us. To him be the glory in the church. In Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray.